Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And church, he is with us today. He knows us. Spirit is among us. And he speaks to us through his word. So let me invite you once again to join me in hearing from him through the scriptures and the book of Revelation. We'll be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning as we continue our message series from Revelation 2 and 3, entitled Letters from Jesus. So in this series, we've been looking at the seven letters recorded in this portion of God's word, letters that were written to real churches in real time with real people, with real issues ancient Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Each of these letters follows a a similar pattern. It begins with a portrait of Jesus Christ. And then Christ speaks through his messenger, John, and he addresses uh, issues that are going well in the church. He gives some positive affirmation for the church, and then he often provides a corrective complaint before giving motivation to comply and a call to listen. And so let's look at the third of these letters, Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, the letter to the church in Pergamum. And so as you find your place there, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of our scripture. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let's bow together in prayer. And Lord God, this morning, we thank you for the chance to gather together and to worship you and to open your word, to, to hear your message. We pray that you would guide us, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us now, for we are listening. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The church, you may be seated. In the 2001 film behind enemy lines lead character chris burnett is shot down in a no-fly zone over a war-torn bosnia in southeastern europe he's alone and he's on the run enemy troops are hunting him down they're looking for him and his escape seems impossible his only hope is to be rescued by nato troops flying in to deliver him but until then he must be vigilant He must be careful, he must be alert, on guard against compromising his allegiance or his location. He's out of place. He's in the wrong territory. He's surrounded by the enemy. 
And likewise, church, Jesus sends a message through John to the first century church in Pergamum. And he says to them, you're behind enemy lines. He says, you're in dangerous territory. Jesus says to Pergamum City Church, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. See, Pergamum was situated about 65 miles due north of Smyrna and was a large city in the ancient world with a population of about 200,000. In 29 BC, the, the, the city was granted permission to build a temple and to dedicate it to the living emperor Augustus, the first such temple in the Roman Empire to be built for a living emperor, famous for its vast library, its spectacular temple of Zeus, and for its worship of Asclepios, the god of healing. Pergamum was an impressive city in the ancient world, politically, culturally, religiously, a place, no doubt, that you and I would like to visit, a place you'd marvel at the architecture. But Jesus is unimpressed. Jesus knows all about that city. He knows the difficulty of living for him there. He knows the church stands out like a sore thumb there. He knows that believers are under attack there. He knows what it's like to be a believer in Pergamum. And yet he doesn't say to the church, leave Pergamum. Now reading between the lines a bit, he says, remain in Pergamum and follow me. Church, Jesus also knows where we live. He knows where we live. Jesus knows the unique challenges of living for him in Birmingham. He knows what it's like to live for him in Birmingham. He knows what we face. He knows our city. How might we describe our city? What would we say about it? How would we describe the ham? You know, we can say a lot of attractive things about our city. Founded in 1871 at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, a city with an industrial history that provided numerous jobs, earning it nicknames like the Magic City and the Pittsburgh of the South producer of iron and steel and manufacturer of railroad cars, one of the largest banking centers in the country, important business center in the southeast, boasting several private institutions, a world-renowned medical school, three of the state's five law schools, numerous hospitals and golf courses, home of a minor league baseball team, and a plethora of churches. And, of course, the list could go on. We could add a whole host of other things about Birmingham, Alabama. But, you know, Jesus could have said a lot more, too. He could have said a lot more about Pergamum, but he was looking from a different perspective. Jesus also knows about our city's history of race relations. He knows about the crime. He knows about the pervasive drug use. He knows about the pressures and the promiscuity found in not only local high schools, but throughout our city, among unbelievers and believers. He knows about the abuse and the bullying. He knows about the divisiveness of politics. He knows about the centrality of sports. He knows about the widespread pornography and the support of human trafficking and slavery that necessarily coincides with it. Friends, Jesus knows where we live. He knows the environment in which we live, and he knows that like Pergamum, it is conducive to temptation and to compromise. And he says, be alert. 
says, be on guard. He says, you live in a dangerous place, surrounded by evil, and if your eyes are not fixated on me, you will succumb to it. So be honest about your struggles with sin. Be honest about your struggles with sin. It's always easy to stand outside the crossfires and to point the finger at those sinners over there. Sometimes we even think that we can change those sinners if we can simply change the law, that we can somehow force others to think and do what honors Jesus. And of course, church, we as believers need to engage in the political arena. We need to vote in the upcoming election. We need to vote in every election and pray for representatives and laws that are honoring to God. But in the process... In our process of worrying and lamenting about the immorality of our society, we must not overlook the immorality of our own hearts. In fact, hold your place in Revelation. Turn to the left, just a few pages, to another another book that this same John wrote, the letter of 1 John, a letter that he writes to believers, a letter that he writes to the church, a letter where he reminds the church who God is and what it means to know Him and how to delight in his love and the significance of his love. First John chapter 1, verse 5, John writes this. He says, This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you. God is light, meaning he's the source of, of knowledge and purity. He says, In God there is no darkness, there is no evil or impurity at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, he says, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So here's the message. John says we are sinners. He says we we struggle with sin and we need Jesus. We need a savior. We need God's forgiveness and his grace. And he offers it to us again and again and again. And until Jesus returns, we live in a world infected by sin and influenced by Satan. And until Christ takes us home to be with him in heaven to our heavenly home, we are susceptible to sinful compromise. Jesus says, I know where you live. Remain faithful to me. Jesus commends those who remain faithful through opposition. Commends those who remain faithful through opposition. Here's the positive affirmation that Christ provides for the church in Pergamum. He says, I know where you live, verse 13, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Or yet you remain true to me. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Now, we don't, we don't know much about this Antipas. We know very little about him, but he's the only named believer other than John in the whole book of Revelation. We know that Jesus shares his title with Antipas, this title from chapter 1, verse 5, faithful witness. He's a martyr. Antipas is a martyr killed in Pergamum for his unwavering devotion to worship Jesus Christ alone. Given the context and pervasiveness of the imperial cult of the day, we can imagine 
how his life went. Commanded to bow down and to worship the king. Antipas said, I will worship Christ alone. See, like First Church of Smyrna, Pergamum City Church faced persecution. And Christ commends them for their faithfulness to him, claiming allegiance to him, even under the very threat of death itself. Jesus knows. He knows the temptations associated with living behind enemy lines. He knows about persecution. He knows about temptation. He knows about opposition. He knows about the lure of compromise. He knows about the evil here, and yet he calls us to live here for him. In the world, but not of the world. Witnessing and worshiping as we wait on the king's return. Treasuring Jesus Christ above everything else. Treasuring Jesus above the thrill of winning. And the pleasure of immorality. And the feeling of acceptance. And the comfort of riches. Friends, see Christ as your greatest treasure. See Christ as your greatest treasure. In a world filled with opposition. For its maker, we need to see Jesus as our greatest treasure, our our deepest delight. Behind enemy lines, we need to gaze upon the rescue mission of the cross and revel in the resurrection of our Lord and savor the certainty of His soon return. Though the devil and his agents live and work here striving day after day to oppress the church and lure believers away from devotion to Christ, John says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than those who are in the world. Though the Roman Empire struck Antipas down, John says, they did not take his life. He did not take his life, for the Lord Jesus Christ already purchased his life and gave him new life and secured his eternal life. For Jesus is greater and stronger and sovereign over any supposed ruler of this world. So continue serving him, he says, no matter what. Remain faithful in the midst of opposition. Friends, Jesus knows the unique challenges of living for him in in Birmingham. He commends those who remain faithful to him through opposition, and he warns those who compromise their devotion to Him. Jesus warns those who compromise their devotion to Him. You see, the church in Pergamum passed the test of persecution, but they were on the verge of failing the test of compromise. The story of Balaam is an Old Testament story, a fascinating story recorded in the book of Numbers where God uses Balaam's donkey to speak truth to his owner. But a book of uh, a story of seduction and immorality and idolatry, a compromise of holiness by merging religious rhetoric and moral freedom. And in John's day, the Nicolaitans were the contemporary equivalent. Inviting Christians who touted God's grace His undeserved mercy, His kindness, His forgiveness to abuse God's grace using grace as a license to sin. Or encouraging believers to live it up in this world. 
If your salvation isn't dependent on anything you could do, anything you could earn, simply a gift of God, freely given to us to be received, then why not receive that grace, secure the hope of eternity, and live however you want to here and now? A practice prevalent, friends, in our own day, in our own city, a tool of Satan to suppress the significance of the cross by discounting sin, often sexual sin, by the way, thereby failing to call sinners to repentance, thus encouraging folks for whom Jesus died to remain on a track headed to an eternal hell. Friends, Jesus warns the church. He doesn't skirt around. He warns the church against compromising His Word and even calls those who tolerate such teaching and practice in the church to repent. For His Word is is a sharp, double-edged sword, convicting, correcting, and judging our hearts. God's Word exposes our sin and pricks our conscience. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to expose our errors, our places of compromise, so that we may confess and repent, turning back to Him again. Friend, where are you tempted to compromise God's Word? Where, where am I tempted to compromise God's Word? Where are we Meadowbrook Baptist Church, where, where are we tempted to compromise God's Word? The Bible says, the Word says that God spoke all these words. Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, He is first deserving and demanding primary allegiance. He alone is worthy of worship. Jesus affirms this truth. When he's asked about the most important command of God, he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Believers, may we love God. May we take Him at His word. May we devote ourselves to Him. May we believe in the one and only God revealed through the Scriptures of the Father and Spirit and Son. And may we worship Christ alone. May we worship Christ Jesus alone. May He alone be the object of our worship, our devotion, our affection. That is the call of the book of Revelation. Believers, stand fast, endure, worship Jesus Christ. He is worthy and He will return. In the midst of enemy territory, may we devote ourselves to Him. May we long to please our Father, to be led by the Spirit, and to serve the Savior. May we heed Christ's correction. May we run from compromise. And may we joyfully surrender to the King. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, verse 17, I will give some of the hidden manna, Jesus says. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Hidden manna reminds readers who are familiar with the scriptures of God's provision in the desert. Manna in the desert for the wandering Israelites. He provides for them day after day after day. It also points to Jesus' miracles of feeding the masses with just a few fish and, and small loaves of bread. And it recalls Christ's words to his disciples, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Church, our spiritual hunger will be forever satiated by the presence and the provision of our Savior, never ever to search again, never ever to long again, never to hunger again, but always satisfied with Jesus. For the hidden manna represents the same thing as the broken bread. Jesus the Christ, our Savior. Ever gone from being really hungry to suddenly being too full and miserable? Anybody else know that feeling? I know that feeling. In fact, I experienced that yesterday as we went out to lunch with some friends and I was hungry. Lunch could not come soon enough. I sat down and ordered. My eyes were bigger than my stomach. I began to eat and quickly I went from being very hungry to overstuffed and miserable. It's hard to strike that balance for us, you know. Go from one to the other. It's comfort, but how comforting to know that forever and ever and ever, those who know the Lord will feast on Jesus Christ. They will be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Never stuffed to the point of discomfort. Never feeling the pain of hunger. Never experiencing heartburn. We will feast on Jesus Christ forever and ever and be satisfied by Him. Commentators often note that a white stone was given to winners at the Roman games, their ticket to entrance, celebratory banquets. And here Jesus says that a white stone with a new name written on it awaits the one who is victorious. That is the one who remains faithful to Christ. Victory comes through faithfulness. See, victory awaits those who trust and obey Jesus, those who worship Jesus Christ alone, for they are given a new name, a new identity, the name of Jesus. He claims them as his own. He looks upon them and he says, yes, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. They belong to me. My blood purchased them. They have victory in me, victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. He sought me and bought me with his Redeeming blood. Christ has conquered. The word has won. Redemption has come. The rescue mission into enemy territory went exactly as planned. A rescue for all sinners who surrender to the Savior. Friends, Jesus says those who unite with Him will enjoy Him forever. The one who trusts in Him now will triumph with Him forever. For solidarity with Christ here. Solidarity with Christ here, identification with Christ here, unity with Christ here will turn to celebration with Christ in heaven. Friend, are you bowing before Jesus? Are you serving Jesus Christ? Are you devoted to Him? Are you worshiping the Most High God, the High King of Heaven? Turn and follow Him. Confess your sin and trust in the Lamb of God who gave His life for the sins of the world. Follow Christ. Worship the King. Receive His grace. Live for His glory. And you will soon receive your seat at the banquet of all banquets. Friends, the celebration of all celebrations. The great marriage supper of the Lamb of God who gave His life for the sins of the world. Solidarity with Christ here will turn to celebration with Christ there. Will you be there? Will you be there? To those living for self. To those compromising the truth. To those too comfortable in this world. The Spirit of God says repent. Repent.
and turn to Christ. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, may we hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, may we take your message to heart. Lord, may we bow before you. May we repent where we are in error. May we confess our sin where we are going our own way. And may we turn to you. May we run after you. May we delight in you. May we find life and forgiveness and satisfaction through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, you are worthy. Capture us. Captivate us. Draw us near to you. Lead us to follow you. Forgive us where we fail you. Lord, as we worship you now, as we respond to the truths of your word, as we respond to Jesus Christ, may each of us do so in a way that honors you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.